what are the rules of your office garbage can? Generally, it's for recycling. Okay. Because uh, how can how can something generally be for recycling? But do you sort it after you remove it? Because in 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 Portland, we are uh, we do a lot of hopeful recycling. (laughs) This is something we're we're under uh, we're in trouble for. Okay. Which is because we uh, it's a recycling culture. We have a big bin for recycling that pick up every week. We only pick up your regular trash every other week. Okay. And we want things to be recycled. So if something looks like it should be recycled, it goes in the bin because there's no sorting. Okay. And so uh, China, which takes most of the, used to take most of the recycling, it says, has said that they are going to stop because, uh, well, their excuse is that uh, <laughs> our, our recycling is too dirty because we're just throwing anything in the recycling <laughs> mm-hmm. with the idea that it should be recycled. Sure. Like frozen food boxes. Oh. Like a box that your frozen pizza comes in or your chicken nuggets. Oh, but that's – Looks like it's – Yeah, it should be, shouldn't it? No, can't recycle it. Especially since the pizza itself is wrapped in plastic within the box, is it not? Yeah, but you can't recycle it. Why? Well, they just don't don't accept it. I guess there's something – it's a different kind of uh, (laughs) cardboard. They don't don't want to recycle it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But but we feel – this is probably you know one of the weird heights of privilege is that it should be recycled. And so sure. we put it in the recycling bin. <laughs> you will recycle our garbage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, so they don't. So, uh, uh, so because there's no sorting and and we're we're hopeful, um, but it should be most anything paper. Most of the most of the debris from my office is is um, typing paper. Uh, newspapers, magazines. Yeah. So you throw it in there, and then eventually, how often do you take it out to the to the to the mother trash? Rarely, uh, every month or so. Okay. It doesn't fill up that quickly. But no food because I have an ant problem. I know, I know. I remember it from our last episode. They they've stopped. They stopped streaming from the ceiling. Okay, that's good. What are they doing now? I just killed one just now. They're not swarming right now, but they uh, they'll you know if there's a crumb of food in the house mm-hmm. untended, they'll 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 make their way to it. Well, and as a house with a six year old, you probably have a lot of unattended food. A lot of unattended crumbs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, I I ask you this because I was um. I had to hastily prepare my office for the podcast because even though I have my all my recording stuff all set up and ready to go, I hadn't actually tried to do anything yet. So it was like what I I uh, got wrong, like w- which cables were the which length and where things could be set down. Like I had a space already over here for the my laptop, yeah. um, but the I don't and I have like eighteen USB cables in this house and none of them is long enough to go to to go to the table. That I I bought specifically to put the laptop in while podcasting yeah. with you. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, it cost uh, nine dollars at the at the Ithaca mm-hmm. reuse. So anyway, I, and I'm, you know, and I and uh, I've been debating with myself uh, over the past two weeks as I've been setting up my my space. Do I want a trash can in here? And every day I have a different um, feeling about it. Like I I think it's handy and useful to have a trash can in the office, but then you put the trash into the trash can and there it is. You're in the yep. room with trash. 
and you want it to have disappeared and it has not. And so it haunts you. At least it haunts me. So right now I'm on no trash can. If I want to throw something out of my office, I'm going to get up, go into the kitchen and throw it in the trash or the recycling bin. Yeah. If you uh, have an intermediary step, then it's just an extra chore. Yeah. Creating another chore. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't gotten rid of the trash. And then you've got all this trash you need to get rid of. Right. And it's I think it's more efficient, of course, to have a trash can in the office and then make a one trip uh, every few weeks when it fills up. Um, but I'm not – I'm talking about emotional burden now. I'm not talking about time. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yes. Well, I'm Talking in, about emotional burden, not talking about time. Right. <laughs> By Nick Jagger. <laughs> Yeah, not talking about time. I do like I do like I like the uh, you have a lunchbox um, live tonight uh, poster. Oh yeah, you. you can see that back there. Yeah, yeah, huh? it's from yeah. Uh, it's the one they hung uh, outside the uh, outside the bar in Missoula at the hotel Very in nice. Missoula. Yeah, um, nice. I've also got um, over here. I've got your um, collage. Mm, nicely got, framed. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. got this. When we had uh, George Saunders come up to Wells College, um, we made a broadside for him, or the the printer did, and he yeah. and he and it was a quote from one of his stories, and he signed it, and um, there was a little little uh, stamp on there to give it a little corporate flair. That's up mm-hmm. there, and uh, Stephanie's dad uh, once started a county fair in Brooklyn in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a massive success. Several hundred thousand people attended it. Um, there were cowboys, there were animals, there's all rides, all kinds of stuff. Music, lots of uh, lots of nostalgia acts were playing. Uh, and he was going to do it again. Um, he was going to make it a regular thing. Except the, um, the I, my my thinking is the the graft didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, he's he's you know he's a he's a he's a lawyer who came up in Brooklyn and knows how New York City works but at some point they, they basically lost the venue and I my the reading between the lines I think it was because not enough or the correct palms were greased in the in the inadequate amounts yeah but anyway I have as an artifact he gave me this terrific uh, cartoon poster um, so I'm feeling I'm feeling I've got some got some uh, valuable what, what artifacts the, here what was the fair called it was called Brooklyn's County Fair Brooklyn's County Fair. Yeah, the the apostrophe s was because it's not actually called Brooklyn County. It's called I think it's called King County. And there is a yeah. new there's a new fair. I think someone is doing a fair in mm-hmm. King County now. But um, but uh, for a brief glorious time, uh, it was it was his and it was a surprise uh, smash hit. Mm-hmm. So um, so anyway, yeah, my office this house. So this house we've rented. <laughs> It's a two-bedroom house uh, in Fall Creek, which is a leafy, friendly neighborhood of Ithaca. A nice place to live. And um, it's, uh, it was built on – the first quirk about it is the block that it's on, which is – it's a city block in which a couple of houses have backyards, but most of them don't. What is instead in what would be your backyard is another house. So there are oh. these – these little dirt roads that lead to the in the interior of the block where more houses have been built. Um, and as you, if you're walking by on the sidewalk, you kind of peer between the houses and wonder what, 
the hell is going on back there? And the answer is, we do not have a backyard. That's what's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine. It's less to maintain. But um, there's some there's sort of a, an illusion that you have a backyard. There is because our neighbor has a backyard. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, the first night we were here, uh, we do have a really nice kitchen with big windows in it. And I had the had the window open to the night air. And uh, darkness fell. And I was like washing up. And I heard, <laughs> John. 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 And I became terrified. <laughs> and I John. ran out of the room and t- turned off the light. And I later realized it's my friend Mary is dating a guy who owns what looks like my backyard but is not. And they were out there, and she she recognized me through the window, <laughs> realized I had moved into the house, and was whispering creepily to me from the <sighs> yeah. Well, maybe it was just your new ringtone. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, no. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good ringtone, huh? <laughs> me too. Whispers your name. <laughs> Tentatively, but uh, intently. Yeah. <laughs> Larry. I'm sorry, I've got to take this. Larry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That must be your phone. So, uh, so that's, the first, that's the first layer of eccentricity. But the second one is that everything in the house is crooked. And, and Because the house, like the foundation is off? Or? I, I think the foundation is solid. It appears to be solid. Um, it's nice not to, since, since we're renting it, it's nice not to have to Who worry cares, yeah. about the, yeah. things like the foundation and the fact that the sidewalk is crumbling because it is not our responsibility. Um, yeah. But it's been renovated a few times, and you can see with each renovation, people, rather than correct the underlying problem, the literally underlying mm-hmm. problem that is causing the floor to be at, you know, like a, like a, oblique but significant angle uh, that they sort of built around it. So in my office here, all the windowsills are level, but the floor is not level. So mm-hmm. so I have to, every basically everything I have in here, my little keyboard stand and my desk and uh, my my Wurlitzer and other stuff, I've, I bought all these, um, I bought all these rubber, I don't know what you call them, little rubber shims. Yeah, sort of, but they're thick. You have to shim the Wurlitzer. Yeah, I got to shim everything, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but I couldn't find these at the hardware store. It seemed like an obvious thing that people would need these little rubber chunks. And uh, um, I, we, you know, we walked around the hardware store for ten minutes, and then I said to Stephanie, "Why are these things so hard to find?" And almost at that very moment, we're walking past the drawers full of. Nuts and bolts and, and other mm-hmm. things. And and I see that, uh, that one of them is labeled hard to finds. <laughs> so and it was in there? It was in there. It was in the hard to finds, <laughs> the hard to finds uh, drawer. What's the I was name like, of the hardware store? <laughs> it must be a charming. Yeah, hard to find. No, store. no, it's Lowe's. It was a chain hardware store. Oh, really? Yeah, there are literally several drawers marked hard to finds, and it's just random stuff that's small. Um, mm-hmm. That's sort of related to screws and hinges and the like, but it's not those things. So, what else was in the hard hards to find? Um, you know, what? I don't really remember. I should have investigated them more clearly. Um, there is, there was a drawer that was um, that said science project supplies. So it was like school, like you know, easy easy to use uh, mm-hmm. bits of electronics and and uh, and the mm-hmm. like. 
Anyway, this so this office not only is it crooked, but it's shaped like um, you know the zigzag the zigzag piece in Tetris. Mm-hmm. It's shaped like this. It goes, you know, it it like goes east and then it goes north and then it goes east. Mm-hmm. And so it was very hard to decide where to put everything because it's not a normal room. Mm-hmm. So I'm in kind of a nook here. This is the this is the podcasting and music recording nook. No books in there. No, that was the other thing. My bookcase did not fit in this room because one fortuitous thing about the house is there's lots of windows. But it also mm-hmm. means that there's very few the wall space. walls along which to put stuff. Mm-hmm. So we ended up, um, I sold it on Craigslist, and we got a couple of uh, uh, narrower but very tall bookcases, and we've put them in our living room, sort of anchored mm-hmm. in the corners and put all the books on there. So the books are not in my office. They're elsewhere. That's good. Yeah. Good. Most of my books are um, making uh, constituting my new stand-up desk. Ah, are you standing right now? I'm standing right now. I've got, I don't know, maybe 200 books um, making up my uh, my desk. Wait, wait. Yeah, sort I'll, of, I'll show you. Sort of like a Daniel Steele's desk. <laughs> right. So with little bitty books. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> wait, so the laptop was literally on on top of a tower of books. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great. Well, yeah. I was thinking about getting a standing desk, and uh, then I thought uh, I got all these books. I got a stand-up desk. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to ask you before you showed it to me: Is it the adjustable kind? And the answer is yes. It is the adjustable yeah. kind. Yeah. You can uh, exchange. Your yeah, voice. I just uh, I, I decided to raise the um, microphone, so I picked up. Uh, it's now sitting on the death of Jim Loney <laughs> and the wrong case. <laughs> The Modern Library, Ashbury, a little book of English poetry. Sure. A CD, actually. Oh, That's good, why it's yeah. all uneven. Mm-hmm. It's Mary Rufel. There's a shim for you. So if you if it feels a little low, you just uh, you replace mm-hmm. Bluets with uh, House of Leaves. Right. That's good. <laughs> or House of Blue Leaves. House of Blue Leaves? That's a play by John Guar. Yeah, but that's that's not much uh, thicker than uh, than Bluet. Samuel, the Samuel of French. I guess that House of Blue Leaves is the interim book between Maggie Nelson's Bluets and Mark Danielewski's yeah. House of Leaves. Yeah, House of Blue Leaves. Yeah, you got to you got to step on that before you leap onto the Danielewski. Have you ever read that book? My son likes it, but I have I haven't gotten around to it. House of Leaves. Oh, I, I, I someone gave me a copy of it. And I looked at it, and I decided that it was trash, and, threw, and gave it away. <laughs> Every time I, I pick it up, as though to read it, and then I think, "You think you're so clever," and then I put yeah. it back. Yeah. <laughs> Not interested. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so um, I haven't talked for a while. How have you been? It's no. Been, uh, it's, plus. it's been an eventful, eventful time, and in addition to moving, um, uh, my grandmother passed away. Um, oh, that's right. So. Was sad, but um, she had been ailing for a long time. She's ninety-one, um, and we all feared a very painful and extended death for her. Um, 
something that we knew she would have no patience for whatsoever. She had a, she had a DNR, so you know, she wasn't going to be revived, but she had a respiratory problem, like pulmonary fibrosis. I think it was that, um, Mm. could mean that she would spend, you know, months in a hospital gasping for breath, which is no way to, no way to live. Um, and what actually happened was she fell and broke a bone and went to the hospital and they said, we could, do surgery, but she wouldn't survive the surgery most likely. Um, or we could just put her on morphine and the morphine may have the side effect of, um, of ending her breathing in this, in the state her lungs are in. And that's exactly what happened. So it was just a, <coughs> she was, she was comfortable and not in pain, uh, when she went. So the, that was a relief. Um, but we went to, um, uh, the funeral was in Easton where I grew up. And it was kind of it was kind of a peculiar funeral. I thought it was it was great. It was actually kind of a um, uh, inspiring and comforting day because there were so many. We didn't think there'd be many people there because most of her old friends, who were many, have died. She's one of the last of her <coughs> last of her generation in this town. And but we were surprised there were there were tons of people there. Um, and it was in so my my grandmother was raised Catholic. Um, then she married my grandfather, uh, or who's my step-grandfather, and he was Jewish. So she became Jewish and went to temple and was affiliated with this temple for many years. Uh, and then my grandfather died, and she took up with her uh, paramour of her sunset years, uh, Bob Lane, uh, mm-hmm. one of the most wonderful men I have ever met. Um he was the love of her life, and they got seven or eight years together before she died. Um, but he was Presbyterian, so she so she became Presbyterian. But, she had a whole survey, yeah. a whole survey of world world uh, world religions. But she had already made arrangements years before. She was one of those people who just always assumes she's about to die. So a long time ago, she'd made arrangements for a funeral and burial and so on with the temple. So she was going to have a. Jewish funeral, which I have now learned is more like the kind of, when you think of a funeral in, you know, um, uh, like in a movie or a TV show with all the dramatic, yeah. uh, you know, the sorrow displays of sorrow, displays of sorrow, the, the sink, you know, the sinking of the coffin into the grave, the people shoveling, you know, family members shoveling dirt onto it. Um, uh, these are all characteristics of the Jewish funeral. So, no one was familiar. No one was familiar with this, because very few of the people there were Jewish, including my family. But Stephanie mm-hmm. is, except that it was weird to her too, because she comes from a more traditional Jewish family. And this was the <laughs> the rabbi was a was a woman, a woman who mm-hmm. had an acoustic guitar. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my mother later said that the rabbi had approached her saying, "I would like to sing a song that expresses." your mother's life. Uh, and I was thinking of climb every mountain <laughs> and my mom said, well, how about, uh, on angel's wings? And <laughs> so the rabbi said, fine. <laughs> and we get to the funeral and the, and the acoustic guitar comes out and she sings climb every mountain. <laughs> Uh, 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 
And then Stephanie leans over to me and she whispers, "She does she know this is sung by a nun in the movie? <laughs> so then as a sort of sop to my mother, we as we, as the family processed out of the out of the temple, the, the rabbi took her cell phone out of her pocket and played through its speaker on Angel's wings on her phone. On her phone as we were walking out. That's very weird. It was really weird. And then uh the, I think you you wrote this wedding, this funeral. <laughs> this seems composed by John Lennon. Not something that happened in the real world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, and as you yeah. know, needless to say, I was sad but but not so yeah. sad that I did not um <laughs> that I did not really appreciate yeah. the peculiarity yeah, yeah. of this day. Yeah, that's nice. Um uh, well, I'm very sorry though. How's your uh, How's your mom doing? She's She's okay. At first, at first, she was. Uh, mm-hmm. We were a little concerned because she seemed ebullient almost, but it was because she has been worrying about this day mm-hmm. yeah, for yeah, years, yeah. and so she, mm-hmm. like my grandmother, plans everything in advance. And in her mind, she planned this in advance too. So it was like, at last, she can put the plan into action and put her anxiety behind her. I mean, I mean. With my family, there's always plenty more anxiety queued up, ready uh, to go. But yeah. uh, but so mm-hmm. she um, she was just consumed with energy and almost excitement as did the day grew near. But then once once the day passed, she definitely was uh, was having a hard time. So, but mm-hmm. now she she seems fine. She's you know, um, she really she used to talk to her mother every day, um, but now that her mother's gone, maybe I was thinking I should call her every day, which I don't typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think to you, and then I don't call because I'm wrapped up in my my own world. Your own stuff, yeah. Who's mm-hmm. calling you every day? No one's calling me every day. There you go. Yeah. So. Anyway, so I, I talk to my dad once, but once a week, maybe twice a week. Yeah. I think one of a couple of my one of my brothers, I think, might talk to him every day. Yeah, I talk to my mom once a week, but I'm I'm trying gonna try and up that a little bit. I'm going to Kansas in a couple of days to visit my dad for a week. Oh yeah, it's gonna be 100 degrees every day. <laughs> Fox News will be on. Sure. Um, it'll be nice to be back <laughs> in a place Picking where the Oscar where the mm-hmm. president is excellent. That's right. It's really a much more peaceful place on the other side. Yeah, yeah. He's not dead yet. He's not out of office or dead. Yeah. Oh, he's dead. (laughs) In that place inside where other people are alive. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite political moment of the week was definitely the... um, How can um, you choose? Seriously. Is Macron's... uh, thumbprint on Trump's hand. You see this is the no, two of them shook hands. There's a series of photos. They're one they're they're facing each other. The next one their hands are approaching each other. And the third one they're shaking hands with with uh mm-hmm. rictus like grins on their faces. And then there's a close up of Trump's hand and it has it has this mark where clearly Macron was squeezing the living shit out of his hand. And Trump had to stand there and pretend it wasn't happening. And as a result, Trump denounced the G7 and, and dropped off yeah. of the joint statement. 
And I think it's entirely because Macron squeezed his hand too hard. It was the squeezing. Yeah. It wasn't his, uh, that it was his instructions. From Bolton? From from Jupiter? S- sure. <laughs> Jupiter, Jupiter, both the planet and the, and the god. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, enough about... Uh, Nothing about that fun stuff. Oh, all right. I uh, went down to the Rose Parade yesterday. Oh, yeah. We have a big Rose Parade, as Elliot uh, Smith sang about. Mm-hmm. Um, the Grand Floral Parade, Yeah, they call it. I went down, uh, watched it as it processed across the Burnside Bridge. Sure. Um, and it was, it was lovely. It rained a little bit. All the rose princesses put up their umbrellas. That so photo be... you posted of that mm-hmm. very scene, yeah. great picture. Yeah, it was a great moment. It was a great moment. I mean, who doesn't like princesses under umbrellas? Nobody doesn't like that. Everybody likes it. They're nice umbrellas, too. Yeah. The umbrellas were as thoughtfully designed as their as their floral gowns. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a nice parade. And I was thinking of, of uh, uh, did you read David Gilbert's story in The New Yorker last week? I, I haven't read it yet. No. Is it good? Our friend David Gilbert yeah. has a story. Uh, good story. Uh, it's all set in Portland. Um, oh. Which I think, he, I think he did live in briefly when he was right after college. Uh, has some familiarity with it, but not recent. Uh, but it's, it's, very, it's very insistently um, describes like street names and paths and, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, landmarks, uh, that you would pass if you were going down these streets, not out of sure. memory, it seemed, but out of a, a, a travel guide. Yeah. Well, um, it's, you no, know, it's, it's part of a new wave of street view fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Of which probably I have probably, been the practitioner. Yeah. From time it to time. It is probably what he is. Um, it's, it's a, it's a good story. Uh, character named Willa in it. Willa? Mm-hmm. Oh, you named after Alexa's uh, daughter. No, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, sure. Uh, so it's a sad story, but it's good. It's about some uh, a bereaved family going to buy a Subaru. Oh, at great. Wentworth at, at Wentworth Subaru on Lower Burnside. <laughs> <laughs> and how the streets that one would take to get there from Skyline and you know, yeah. I haven't. I don't subscribe to the New Yorker right now. My excuse that I was about was that I was about to move, but. Um, the real excuse is that uh, is professional jealousy, I think. So I should probably. Here's the thing: our two friends, Andrew Greer and David Gilbert, in rapid succession, won the Pulitzer Prize and published a story in the New Yorker. And now I feel very strongly that I need to do something uh, spectacular. This issue, uh, this issue with David's story, has a full page ad for less in it, <laughs> recognizing. Um, of course, that it of course was available it in paperback now. <laughs> um, I hope that annoyed well, you. Well, you have you have been in The New Yorker as much as either one of them. I suppose I have, yeah. I actually think Dave has published more than – I think he, he's had a good relationship with them lately. They've published a lot of his stories. In fact, I bet he's due for a story collection. I would love to see one come out from him. He hasn't – his first book was a collection. Yes, Remote Feed. And he hasn't – everything else, the other books have been novels. Yeah, yeah. But I bet he's had four or five stories in The New Yorker since then, and he maybe he's published some elsewhere, too. I hope so. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was the Montana issue. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's fine. <laughs> it is fine. It is fine. Yeah, I'm very happy for him. 
I think it's great to win, for him to win the Pulitzer. And I, I think it's great for it to be that book, for it to be, and for it to be a funny, serious, you know, serious but funny book. Yeah. Yeah. In a dark time. I, and, have you uh, read it? I haven't read it yet. I read it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. I, I, did, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll like it. Okay, good. It's funny the thing the work I wonder I wonder if people remember terrible things that I wrote in graduate school better than they remember the things I've actually published because the things I remember best of Andy's are not his best work they're the things that were never going to be perfected like the um like mm-hmm. his novels Cowboy, Cowboy Up, Up and Blue mm-hmm. Lusitania Blue Lusitania yeah and his uh his two two short stories both called Death Brunch <laughs> and one of them taking place in outer space. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, they were good. Well, they were works of of of, of passion and curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hey, I've got a good uh, book recommendation. Okay. So sort of a chap book. I have two good book recommendations. I've I finished two books in twelve hours. Um, oh my goodness! Well, I, the, I had spent days reading the first one, and I finished it, and then I read the second very short one quite quickly. First mm-hmm. one, uh, the the completion of the um, uh, the Rachel Cusk trilogy, uh, mm-hmm. re- recent trilogy of novels um, that mm-hmm. feature long, implausible monologues by random people. Um, mm-hmm. This one is called Kudos, and uh, it's mostly about um, the challenges of of living in a society and of being a, a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there are no children in it, the children are all off off screen. People talk about their, their children. And there's this horrifying, uh, horrifying uh, passage that I put on Twitter uh, about the possibility that, um, that uh, the things that make an artist an artist are exactly the kinds of things that an artist is incapable of providing for his or her children. Uh, and so that's, yeah, it's on my mind lately. Happy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true in the general, in the generalized way, but, uh, but I, I can see it is a rich, rich, uh, yeah, rich, rich course of, of questioning. And so the other thing, the other thing, um, that I recommend, and I'll put these in the notes, uh, is a, a chapbook called 49 Venezuelan Novels by <laughs> Sebastian Castillo. Do you know this guy? No. He lives in Philly. Uh, he's younger than we are. Um, and I just know him from Twitter. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's sort of like half, a, half of a Pieces for the Left Hand. It's kind of a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a series of, it's sort of flash fiction, but in a more hallucinatory vein. Uh, mm-hmm. more surreal, comical vein than anything, any of the short stuff I've written. So, well, that's not true. Any of the short stuff that I have published in a book. So, uh, I highly recommend this. 49 Venezuelan novels? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, brief? It's brief. You, you mm-hmm. can get through it in an hour. Even, mm-hmm. even, even uh, taking your sweet old time, you can get through it. You can, you can savor each little story. Oh, and my friend uh, Jeff Duncanson did the uh, cover. Uh, again, mm-hmm. I, have, I didn't know they knew each other, but lo and behold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. Actually, we usually talk about eating before we talk about books, but I jumped into books right away. Yeah, well, that's a good sign. It's a good sign that you're eager about books. 
I am. I'm enjoying books. I haven't. I've been slow in my reading the first half of the year, mostly because of school, in part because of this move. Um, yeah. But, but now I'm now I'm in him in him again. Mm-hmm. I haven't been. Uh, I don't know what I've been reading. Nicholas Blake mysteries. Nicholas Blake and Nicholas Freeling. Um. And watching Columbo. Been watching Columbo quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of my reading. Read last night the poems, um, the Mother Foucault's bookshop with two really good poets, uh, Samia Bashir and Rodney Kinnicky. Uh-huh. Kinnicky. Like in, uh, like in Greece. Kinnicky. Yeah. K O E N E K E. Yeah. Portland poet. Uh, who, wrote, um, who wrote a nice thing. Um, in the, in Harriet, which is the blog of Poetry Magazine, the Poetry Foundation. Yeah. Um, he wrote a really nice, long appreciation last month or so about Noah Purifoy, this desert artist in California who I like a lot and uh, have written a lot in response to. And uh, um, it made me really like, I liked this guy's poetry before, but then it made mm-hmm. me go back and read everything. He'd written three books with Wave. Um, really, really, very, very fun, strange poems. Cool. What? what what's? What's the name again? Uh, Rodney Kanicky, K O E N E K E. I guess. Did you mean Rodney Kanicky? Yes, I did. Yeah. Here's his uh, poetry foundation page. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I've been to Mother Foucault's. <sighs> <laughs> Maybe not, but it's a good shop. It's a um, it's a uh, used bookstore in southeast Portland, the other side from Powell's. Mm-hmm. Um, large enough to have a little reading space. Um, no no uh, no mobile phones allowed inside. Mm-hmm. No no uh, no computer. Do you mean keep that, track of inventory? That you must silence it and keep it in your pocket, or is there one a, is expected to? Is there a not, bouncer? One is, no, no one is one is expected not to uh, produce the device while while wandering around. That is fair. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's where I had my book release. And the the owner Craig's uh, kids are at elementary school with mine, and so we uh, I, I knew him and liked him. We ended up spending a lot of time this last year just kind of hanging out on the playground while the kids sure destroyed things. <laughs> Um, really fantastic bookshop focusing on uh, philosophy literature works in original languages and translation Mm -hmm. kind of keeping with a lot of my interest they have a Polish book club they have a documentary club who who do they read a little Stanislaw Lem maybe they might read some Lem Mm-hmm. Some Gumbrowitz, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some Bruno Schultz. Yeah. Oh, he was Polish. Sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I like that guy. I haven't read Gumbrowitz though. Some Wash, some Rudovich, mm-hmm. some some Swer. However you say her last name. Uh, there's a lot to read. Cool. There's a lot of Polish. This this Portland has a lot of uh, uh, people from around the world here who sure. are. Wookie types and Foucault's is kind of a. Did you a, say uh, you hang say, out? You say Wookie types? 
They're like, yeah, they're. <laughs> but in like Polish and Ecuadorian. It's not a language, but but it is a place. What is spelled? What is uh, spoken there? <laughs> what is spelled there? What is spelled? Well, they spell a lot of words. Yeah. And uh, and things. Um, but it was uh, it was good. Last night there were a number of uh, there were some French. Not tourists, really, but French folks who were living in New York. Who uh, one of them rode a motorcycle out to Portland to see the West. Sure, I came uh, to the reading. Was it a vintage motorcycle? I don't know. The, I don't know the type, but I hope it was. Was it? Uh, was a Triumph? Was it a? I hope it was uh, an old Harley, a knucklehead. Ford. I don't know. I don't know my motorcycles. <laughs> I the only reason I know anything about motorcycles is from watching American Pickers. I'm sort of uh, I'm uh, osmosising um, motorcyclery. I like that. Who was it? Fred Hayfley? Yeah, the Fred Hayfley. Guy, the book Rebuilding the Indian. Yeah, it's a good book. That was a nice book. Well, you know, mm-hmm. the the guy in Rebuilding the Indian, um, who I, I knew from the coffee shop where I worked, because he would come in and everybody would like sort of half stand up and, you know, and like you know, nearly bow to him with respect. It was mm-hmm. Part's father. Part's father. Part's father, oh, the, right. guy, the guy who had all the motorcycle right. parts, and yeah. uh, he, he inspired the guy in Breadman, which, by the way. Which was just read um, by the Dr. Jeremy Irons? No, no, no. It was Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin. Kyle McLaughlin read it, and I, I couldn't go to it, but, um, but uh, Rian and Owen went down in my stead. Because uh, yeah. Stephanie and I were moving into the house, there was a, you know we got the truck running. There was no way to get out of here. But um, but they Kyle McLaughlin, Kyle McLaughlin. So they went to the reading. Uh, they said he was great, um, and the the selected shorts people told me the same thing. And they got to meet him, and they yeah. they said that he was an unbelievably sweet, uh, oh, that's nice. just sort of genuine kind of guy. So I'm I'm kind of Hail hoping, Dougie. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah imagine <laughs> imagine Dougie, but he can speak. The English language, uh-huh. um, yeah. but I'm I'm actually hoping to get to meet him one of these days. He apparently lives most of the time in New York, so. Um, oh, very good. But uh, yeah, that was a f- fortuitous and unexpected occasion. I'm sad I couldn't go, but I'm really glad, especially Owen yeah. got to go because he's a he's a peak super fan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so uh, so Fred's book um, about rebuilding his motorcycle is terrific, and it's also about getting married and having a kid, yeah. and um, yeah. so just a really s- sweet, s- smart, funny memoir. Oh, in fact, I'll link to that, as Alice would say. I'll link, I'd link. I'd link to that. <laughs> I'd link to that. I'm going to go uh, see her uh, book launch in uh, oh, at the Strand in a few weeks because I'm giving a reading the night before in a different part of town. So we're gonna we're gonna make a three three day little vacation. Oh, I wish day. I could. I wish I could could be there. Yeah, uh, I'm excited for people to find that book, and people seem to be finding it. Or recommending I, it or sharing it? You know, I always... <laughs> praising it? Yeah, I always have like... Um, I, I can... In 2018, I never know how much attention a book is getting because often when I see a book getting a lot of attention, it's because I follow the author on right. Twitter and the author is retweeting... They're giving it a lot of all. attention. And so it seems like my feed has a lot of this book in it. But yeah. I, I think that Alice's book is genuinely, given the the people who are saying good things about it and the yeah. people she's appearing with on stage and so on, I think it's getting a lot of attention, uh, as it deserves. It's as we said on the are last you, are you episode. Still, good book. Are you still using Twitter? Is that? Yeah, I am still using Twitter. 
Oh, okay. More sporadically than before, though. Did why? It's did still I, on. Is it? I, I don't know. I didn't know. It was, no, it's still going. It's still, still on. on. I didn't know that people of good conscience uh, still used such a platform, Eddie. but I guess they do. <laughs> I guess they do. That's well, great. You, but you're still you're still on Instagram, but with a new a new obscure name. That'd be, yeah, I've been changing the name. Yeah, I won't say what it is in case you do you want your identity to be concealed. No, no, I, I moved it to private anyway. So. Oh, okay. But I think this is interesting. You just change your name to a phrase every now and then. Usually Elizabeth Bishop phrases. Yeah. <laughs> is this Usually from a, from a – yeah, awful but, uh, awful but cheerful. <laughs> awful um, but cheerful. Is from uh, uh, The Bite, I think. One is, of my is it about a Bishop. dog? No, it's uh, – I forget what it is. It's awful but cheerful. It's sort of the whole scene in the bay on her birthday. Yeah. Uh, the uh, – the, um, the it's oh it's the uh, it's a dredger in the in the bay, going about its its uh, untidy activity, awful but cheerful, under the humorous elbowings of the pelicans. <laughs> it's called. Is this uh, the bite poem? Yeah. The bite poem. B i g. Yeah, I got it here. I got it here on Poem Hunter. Oh, good God! Poem Hunter has autoplay videos. No, that's not a thing. You want to have. There it is. Can I read it? Yeah. May I read I it aloud? And I'm also crossing my fingers that that's the right poem. Uh, it is. Okay, good. At low tide, like this, how sheer the water is. White crumbling ribs of marl protrude and glare. Oh, yeah, ribs of marl. And the boats are dry, the pilings dry as matches. Absorbing rather than being absorbed. The water in the bite doesn't wet anything. The color of the gas flamed turned as low as possible. One can smell it turning to gas. If one were Baudelaire, one could probably hear it turning to marimba music. The little ochre dredge at work off the end of the dock already plays the dry, perfectly offbeat claves. The birds are outsized. Pelicans crash into this peculiar gas unnecessarily hard, it seems to me, like pickaxes, rarely coming up with anything to show for it, and going off with humorous elbowings. Black and white man-of-war birds soar on impalpable drafts and open their tails like scissors on the curves or tense them like wishbones till they tremble. The frowsy sponge boats keep coming in with the obliging air of retrievers, bristling with jackstraw gaffs and hooks and decorated with baubles of sponges. There is a fence of chicken wire along the dock where, glinting like little plowshares, the blue-gray shark tails are hung up to dry for the Chinese restaurant trade. Some of the little white boats are still piled up against each other or lie on their sides, stove in, and not yet salvaged, if they ever will be, from the last bad storm, like torn open unanswered letters the bite is littered with old correspondences click click goes the dredge and brings up a dripping jawful of marl all the untidy activity continues awful but cheerful that's a good poem it seems like it's one of the best in fact you got both your recent instagram names from it i i wonder Mm -hmm. which phrase you'll choose next I don't know, frowsy, frowsy gunboats, what is it? Um, I don't know. How about humorous elbowings? Humorous elbowings. Why don't you go with that? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. That's a magnificent poem. Yeah. The Bite. On on my birthday, for my birthday, I think. What about your birthday? No, that's, that's part of the title. I think The Bite. It's, it's our self-birthday poem. Oh, all right. I think that should be in the title, but uh, uh, Poem Hunter doesn't always uh, duplicate the poems as they were intended. No. Carefully I... for publication. <laughs> Cheerfully, awfully. I have an ad blocker turned on, so there are a lot of blank spaces where garbage probably is supposed to go. But I'll I'll leave that to our listeners to to elect to do that or not. Garbage finds its way in, though, John. It does. Its- it does. I'm uh, sorry to hear. Uh, so that'll be good that you'll see Alice. Please uh, tender her my hellos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will do it. Uh, but uh, yeah, books. I uh, there's two TV shows I've been I've been watching that I, I, I wanted to see if you knew anything about. Why don't you Why don't you tell me about them? One of them is The Terror. Oh, I've heard it on about AMC. it. Oh, you must see The Terror. Okay, okay. It is very good. Partly because I love the story of the Terror and the Erebus. Yeah. These Arctic exploit part of my it's sort of you know book of list material. Uh-huh. Uh, Invisible Horizons, Lost Boats. Uh, so it speculates speculates on uh, how uh, how things turned out. Sure. Um, and knowing that, uh, you know, knowing that uh, no one's story was ever going to be hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a, and it's handled quite beautifully. It's a it's a horror story in a way. There's some supernatural stuff. Yeah. Uh, it may be, and probably is. And now I say it out loud. I know that it is insensitive to the Inuit traditions that it tries to. Um, Tries to dances of wolves like um, acknowledge, mm-hmm. but uh, nonetheless, it's also an all male cast in the snow. There's a lot not to like about it, <laughs> but I watched it. Uh, has Jared Harris in it, the actor who was in the British guy in Mad Men, who is the son of Richard Harris? Oh, I love that guy. He's magnificent in this. He's also in The Expanse, the science fiction show that I like. Right. Anyway, I watched it and it's very good. Great. Um, and I haven't liked much. Um, and then I've been watching this AP Bio sitcom with Patton Oswald. Wait, whose bio? AP Bio, like uh, Advanced Placement Biology. Oh. <laughs> What's it called? AP Bio. It's called AP Bio. Yeah. Uh, philosophy professor. Um, uh, cocks things up and ends up teaching high school biology in Toledo and trying to exact revenge on his uh, very successful peer who is the head of philosophy at Stanford and is played by this British actor who was the doofus in Love and Friendship, Okay, the, the last Whit Stillman movie. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. I didn't. I, I like him but have lost track of him. And he's enlisting his his uh, ambitious students in his revenge plans, and he he they want to be taught biology so that they can do well on their tests, <laughs> and he refuses to teach them anything <laughs> remotely having to do with biology. Sure, it's uh, it's it's Moby Dick. Oh, great! It's Moby Dick in the Toledo high school classroom, <laughs> and the main actor is the uh, was from 
it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and he's a, a, a dark madness, uh, a dark blind madness um, in this. I've never seen anything quite like this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Patton Oswalt is um, is very funny in it as a needy principal. Sure. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it already. Yeah, it's very good. Um, and it's an NBC show, too. They, they also, um, they've also got The Good Place, right? Which I found pretty entertaining. I have. Oh yeah, I like the Good Place. Yeah. yeah Although like there seems to be a fart joke in every episode of the Good Place, and I'm not sure yeah. why that why that's necessary. Yeah, I didn't watch. It was. It's fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I the only uh, I haven't I haven't been watching a lot of uh, TV because I've been doing other things. Well, pl- I've been playing a bunch of games, um, mm. but uh, which I think I've mentioned, but. Um, I've been playing Neverwinter Nights from 20 years ago. What is that? It was a Dungeons and Dragons game from 1998 or maybe 2000. They still do modules for. Oh, and there's an enhanced. But, uh, there's an enhanced edition. Yeah. Terrific. It's not great. I no. mean, it's. it's but uh, have you ever? I gone- remember playing it. I played it 20 years ago. And then um, something got messed up about the hardware or something, and it didn't it didn't finish it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I realized I wanted to finish it. Sure. Eighteen years later, despite its antiquity, it's like uh, like revisiting Pac-Man. Although you know, in the equidistance, it is as far as much farther away from the present than. Pac-Man was to it. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah, so it's that that game. Yeah, yeah. it's been as many yeah. years since X. Oh yeah, as I do that all the y time. Y is from Z. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before, um, but I still think often about the, um, uh, you know, Zork, Zork Two, Zork Three, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The Infocom, yeah, all the Infocom text text adventures that yeah. came out in the eighties. Well, yeah, and I think you can, um, I think you can play them online or used to be able to. We talked about game life. It's part. It's it's uh, it's in my one of the problems of of my standing desk of books is that if I want to <laughs> to to uh, refer to one of the books, it risks um, you know ruining the whole architecture. Uh, I think I told you about this game, this book uh, by Michael Clune called Game Life. Yeah. Michael Clune's Canadian poet and and, and writer and scholar mm-hmm. who is a genius. And this book, Game Life, I'm sure I mentioned it, is about have. those text-based games of the 80s and sort of coming to sort of language and kind of consciousness and adolescence and addiction and... A sense of self, sort of the prelude through Zork. You know what? I um, Amazon is telling me I bought this book, but I still haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably bought it while talking to you on this podcast. Yeah. Did it arrive? I think I got an electronic version, so it probably arrived immediately. And then I, because it was not lying around, because I don't have my laptop propped up on it, I forgot that I bought it. Yeah. So, And uh-huh. now that I'm reading again, I'm going to read it. 
I think you'll like. I suspect you'll like it. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in the in the topic. Mm-hmm. I've been I think you'll like uh, this writer. I think you'll like Clune's writing a lot. You say he's a poet uh, previously. Uh, yeah, or uh, is it? I can't remember his whole CV. What he's done. He's got two memoirs. One about uh, addiction, heroin addiction, and one about these games. And uh, you know, I don't think he is a poet himself. Uh, I think he may teach it as an academic discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. All right, I'm gonna. I will get to it, and I'll relink to it in the notes. I st- I want to. Th- I want to continue talking desks with you. By the way, I want to tell you about my desk drama. Do you want to hear All about right. it? I do. So I I didn't have a desk in my previous place. Um, What had used to be my desk was in uh, the guest room, a.k.a. Toby's room, because Toby was the only one who ever stayed there. And uh, it was big and heavy, um, and I just didn't want to put it in yet another house. Um, And I got rid of it, and then uh, with relief, and then... yeah. Replaced it in Toby's room in the new place with uh, with a nice little, you know, mid-century, uh, stylish little mid-century number. Um, if you come to stay here, you will be able to sit at it if you like. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I have my own office space now, so I needed some kind of desk. So uh, I just couldn't. I tried to get one on Craigslist, and the person wouldn't. Get back to me. I think it was a. I think it was a person who doesn't understand you're supposed to delete the ad after you sell it. So I think they oh, right. probably wondering, still wondering today, why are these people emailing? Why do people keep contact me about this stupid desk? <laughs> What's gone. wrong with people? Yeah, <laughs> don't they understand? I sold it. Uh, and then I, I was looking online. I almost bought this computer desk that, like, a hundred dollar computer desk from Amazon. Um, that was very minimal, but I didn't. I didn't feel like getting another giant cardboard box that's full of styrofoam, and then you fill your garbage cans with styrofoam. Oh. And in our town, we have this: the, you have to get garbage tags, and each tag is for thirty-five pounds of garbage or a twenty-gallon garbage can. So, if you fill your twenty-gallon garbage can with Are those equivalent, more or less. Well. That's the thing. In theory, they're equivalent, but when you have, when your garbage is 100% styrofoam, you're wasting your money. So, and I didn't want to, and it's way, of course, it's wasteful. And I didn't feel like having little, little, little little bits of, you know, little styrofoam bits adhering to everything for three weeks. Mm. So I, um, it's like glitter, corporate glitter. <laughs> Stephanie saw someone on uh, Etsy or something was selling, I don't know, just dumb shit like you know, like a like a framed piece of paper that they've used a fountain pen to write something stupid in calligraphy. And this, <laughs> she found one that said, "Sawdust is man glitter." That's pretty good. Ew. Anyway. Um, so I go back on Craigslist and up pops what looks like the perfect, the perfect desk. It was a steel case desk, which is a, a style of desk I really like. 
again, sort of six mid sixties kind of aesthetic of, of, mm-hmm. um, you know, f- wood, wood, fake wood grain formica and mm-hmm. green, you know, like green painted or gray painted steel mm-hmm. and aluminum, you know, aluminum square legs and everything. Good a teacher's desk. I mean, yeah, this would, yeah. Yeah, institutional desk. Yeah, classic institutional desk, and it was fifty yeah. bucks, and he was gonna he would deliver it for free. That Heavy. day, that day, yeah. So I said, yeah. "Great, I'll take it." And so a few hours later, the guy shows up, and it's at night, and he's in a big hurry. <laughs> and um, as we're taking it out of the truck, it seemed it seemed small. It had been it had been listed as a small desk, but I was looking for a small desk. I have a small space to put a desk in. So, but looking at it in the photo proportionally, it appeared perfect. But then when I got into the space and the guy drove away, I realized it's not a small desk. It's a miniature desk. It's, it's like an 85% size desk. So instead of being 30 inches tall, it was only 23 inches tall. And Mm. as a result, Mm. it was just resized. It was just shrunk. It was, and I realized it was for a child. Or a very tiny yeah. lady of the past, right? Ruth uh, Gordon. What's that? Ruth Gordon. Ruth Gordon. Is she tiny? The small lady. Well, oh, she's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's from an era when maybe more things were gendered. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like There's there a lady's were, desk. There were gendered fountain pens. There were gendered desks, right? Because yeah. ladies' things had to be dainty, which, thank goodness, is... At least for those things, not the case today. But anyway, so I put it over there. I realized it was it was a mistake. So then I was back to the drawing board. Finally, I was at the hardware store and impulsively decided I was going to build a desk out of yeah. out of parts from the hardware store. So I bought yeah. a, you know, like a f- four by two foot slab of wood. That's you know like a like composite. You know, it's like it's like an inch and a quarter thick, and I bought four like country table legs, and then mm-hmm. the things to screw them in. And I bought some spring-like green paint. I think it's actually called uh, Spring Rapture. Summer Rapture is the name of the color. Mm-hmm. I think verdure. <laughs> There's definitely some verdure. Mm-hmm. So I built it. And I have to say, it's perfect. It's the right size. It's the right height. It's pretty. It's utilitarian. Here's the problem. I painted it, and the paint just will not dry. It's dry. It's dry to the touch. But you say you put a computer down on it, and you work on the computer for 10 minutes, and you try to lift up the computer, and it goes click, click, click as, as the feet tackily un like detach themselves from the surface. And I looked it up online. It turns out that latex paint takes about 30 days to cure if you did it right. But if you didn't, it may never cure. And I'm a little freaked out. Can you put a coat on top of of a different kind of paint, non-latex paint, on top of of that? That's what a few people suggested. If you put a coat of... um, clear polyurethane water-based polyurethane um uh you know coating it should that should dry but i at this point i think i'd rather wait a month and see see if it cures and if it doesn't cure then i'll do that i'm a little it's like i don't know you got a month you got a month (laughs) well the thing is in most of my writing i do 
either on the sofa or the kitchen table. That's kind of been yeah. my shtick for a long time. But I, you know, you need a you need a headquarters, don't you? I I keep thinking so, and then I'll establish one, and then I don't use it. Yeah, then I end up right at the kitchen table. Yeah, or coffee shop, or I don't get much done in my office. Does the desk and the do the desk in the office have to exist in order for the work to get done elsewhere? Do you need to have a, ment- a mental office wherever you are? Maybe, Maybe. yeah. I've found yeah, that okay. my white noise app can turn pretty much anything into an office. This was not the case when I was young. Yeah. That we're no longer young. We're not. We're not young. I've been going to physical therapy for the last six or eight weeks. Do you have an injury? On my foot. Oh. I, I, had, I had been walking badly for years and and uh avoiding is there a blue jay in the background yeah they did. i got the window uh, open oh by the way so is this the same is this the hurt foot you danced on in a I, previous I episode yeah perhaps yeah yeah and so it's been bothering me for for a while and uh, but it's like avoiding you know a lot of like long walking and things and it's and so i finally i went to mention to my doctor he said oh you might have Something wrong there. And so he sent me to, and this is how you know I'm old, to a podiatrist. <laughs> and this is not my first podiatrist. <laughs> and she, uh, I'll tell you, nothing, a, a podiatrist's office is, is not, does not smell good. <laughs> it's not. It was, it was a is, is it the, the expected stench? Is it footy? Yeah, it's a little footy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like lots of lots of horrible things happen in hospitals and doctors' offices. Sure, you think would have that also smell. The whole body smells. Yeah, but uh, the doctor's office is a little funky. Um, and uh, so she kind of poked him around and said that it was uh, like tendonitis, but tendonitis had been going on so long that it was tendinosis. <laughs> and uh, she said, "I think we can take care of it with physical therapy." So I've been going to physical therapy every uh, every week. Yeah, and uh, doing you know some funky exercises and mm-hmm. life hacks, and uh, it's made a huge difference. Really, I can, I can get up on tiptoe, not like the nice. little tiptoe, but like the balls of my feet. Like my foot doesn't doesn't hurt. It's like more limber. Is, um, is confident your, gait? Is your standing desk part of this new this new standing life transformation? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of it is, is she wants me to bounce. She said, try, try this. First, she had me take off my shoes and walk. And then she had to kind of stifle a laugh because I, I walked so badly, like comically badly. Like, have you ever tried walking just like heel to toe? Like, no, tell me about this. <laughs> well, this is how everybody else walks. Oh. <laughs> uh, and so they're you know, doing a lot of a lot of. She said, so try to stand on your foot and just balance on your foot for thirty seconds, and I could make it like maybe five, oh, balancing. On uh, so because, she me doing that of pain, lot. not just pain, just like strength. So um, she said some of it has to do with weight, but also as when I sprained my foot, I sprained my ankle a lot in like high school and in my early twenties. Sure. And she said, well, it's probably stemming from that. You started walking differently and healing and so this here's you know this is a long-term consequence of that you've you, you walk in a way to avoid pain and that is creating you know kind of atrophy in one part of the foot and 
and uh, this tendon, this particular tendon is maybe a little frayed. And, uh, uh, but, you know, sort of strengthening, strengthening exercises. And I got rid of all my shoes and bought Vans. I just wear Vans. Comfy? Because they're, they're comfy and they're broad. Yeah. And they're checkered. They're cool. But I also have a black pair with some flames on the side. Nice. That's a nice one. Really good. Um, and that should be like stand after I could balance a little better uh, to stand on a pillow and try to balance for 30 seconds. Of course, now you could do like four or five minutes. But just like stand on a pillow and balance, turn your head a little bit. And uh, it that I think, among other things, simple little thing has just improved my confidence in walking and gait well, in ways that also just make me feel a lot better generally. That's great. And uh, the, the question that leads me to is when you're standing on one foot on a pillow for several minutes, is this, does this become a special time of contemplation? No. Oh. No, no, I'm not a very thoughtful person. <laughs> what can I stop doing this horribly boring thing? This is almost <laughs> exercise and I don't like it. <laughs> great. Turns out you can exercise while not moving. Yeah. This is uh, terrible news. <laughs> um, but it's been funny going to the physical therapist. Uh, because I am, uh, this is this this is a significant thing, and if I let it get worse, and it will probably still get worse even with these corrective measures, it's going to have you know, really significant impacts down the line. But a lot of the people that I'm running into at the hospital or the, the clinic are in much worse shape. Oh, and yeah. And that, that makes you feel pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing really can lift you out of a funk than seeing somebody else suffering terribly. Sure. Mm. It's the Schadenfreude diet. Yeah. And when I see somebody with like a, who looks like a Trump supporter and they're in a lot of pain. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about that. I feel bad for them. Sure. Oh, there you go. That's good. <laughs> and a little better for myself. A little better for myself. I do feel bad for them. Well, I think what's happening now to a lot of people who, uh, who, who, who like Trump's rebellious spirit are realizing that he's, he's just destroying their lives or soon will. And it's very hard to let go of your long held beliefs. Um, when facts are staring you in the face, such as, such as that no one is going to buy your farm products anymore because of, because of tariffs generated in a in a temper tantrum yeah i don't think that'll work either though i think they'll just blame obama or that's hillary, what he wants hillary. them to do or hillary yeah play for, for no reason no it's the yeah. shadow presidency yeah hey um anyway uh so uh go, we should talk about eating before we uh we wrap up i wanted to say that um my grandmother would actually have been pleased by the luncheon that followed her uh, her burial. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, there's salmon, which of course you can, you never, you never expect good things at, uh, when you're, you know, you get salmon from a buffet table and it was a little, the sea, it was a little blandly seasoned, but let me tell you, it was perfectly cooked. It was still, still near, nearly raw in the middle, but warm, a little crispy on the outside. Um, Moist on the inside, pink on the inside, and there was some salmon makes everything better. Really good roasted potatoes, mm-hmm. and this place is called the called Blue 
Grill House Kitchen or something like that in Easton, Pennsylvania. Are you sure that's the name of it, John? It's called Blue. It's called Blue. Let's okay. just say Blue. That's the, the word. That's the word that's on the side of the building. Yeah. Um, and uh, the other uh, memorable dining experience, because you don't have a lot of them when you're moving. Uh, mm-hmm. I now live close enough to the Ithaca Farmer's Market to walk there. And That's so, nice. Yeah. So we did that Saturdays. yesterday. Saturday, we went Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, not much is finished growing in early mm-hmm. June. Uh, lots of greens, but uh, we got some beets and some garlic scapes. Nice. And I uh, softened up the beets a bit, cut them into cubes, uh, simmered them in some water, and then drained that, and then parboiled and then, them. Parboiled them, then sautéed them with the scapes, uh, with a little olive oil, a little lemon pepper, and salt. Very tasty. Sound good. Yeah, and uh, paired that with uh, some rotisserie chicken. Mm-hmm. Just eat, eating it all with your hands. Highly recommended. Tearing into a rotisserie chicken, still in its uh, plastic ship. <laughs> it's kind of a ship. Yeah. The rotisserie chicken sails in on black ships. <laughs> they do here anyway. Yeah, you're right. That it is chicken, a ship. That chicken is the captain. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, these are um, uh, Stephanie keeps kosher, so um, it's it's a little bit harder to get meat. Wegmans, our local chain, has a has a kosher section with pretty good stuff in it. But there's a particular rotisserie chicken that um, you can get at the Fairway chain of supermarkets, which are only in and around New York City. Oh, and uh, it used to be that. Uh, driving between her parents and her place in Connecticut, there was one along the way where she would get a bunch of these delicious rotisserie chickens and then shove them in the freezer. But she didn't live there anymore. And I don't go there anymore because she yeah. moved. So we're, um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to find a scheme for getting these delicious chickens. This one, her parents brought us when we moved in. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, a rotisserie chicken ripped apart by hand. That's the way to do it. That is, yeah. And yeah no utensils. You either no utensils. You either decant these bits into a, a bowl, or you can just upend the, the roof of the ship, the clear roof of the ship, and use that as your bowl. Never thought of that. Mostly I, uh, standing by the, um, standing at the kitchen counter. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's there's, a lot of, there's a lot of meat in weird places on those rotisserie chickens. I don't know why. <laughs> the meat seems to migrate in, 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 uh, in its rotations. Yeah, I agree. It is a little weird. Mm-hmm. You don't want to think too well, much. Well, you, you, you don't put on – I think the rotisserie, you know, the mass market rotisserie chicken, I think you, you don't put on the young fryers. I think it's, it's a way to uh, soften up old birds. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our episode title. It could it could be could be. We have some good choices. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, what are you eating lately? Um, I have a bottomless uh, hunger for shrimp. Lately. Oh, so I'll get uh, fried uh, frozen shrimp, even though we're in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, just saute them, kind of barbecue, New Orleans barbecue style. Nice. Uh, butter and hot sauce. Do you dry them first? Do you like uh, pat them down with uh, pat them down with paper towels to get to get a nice dryness to sear? I try to reassure them, <laughs> comfort them. Okay. Um, uh, no, not frozen. Not if they're frozen. I just put them in frozen. Sure. Mm-hmm. If they were, you know, fresh shrimp or, or um, de, uh, uh, de-frozen, mm-hmm. I uh, would, would do so. Thawed, you mean? Thawed is another word for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of that had a nice... Um, uh, yesterday we went to, so uh, kindergarten finished on oh, Friday, yeah. the end of kindergarten. Oscar's now the, first grader on the integra- in the Instagram. Congratulations to him wrapping his head around that. Thank you. Sure, I'll extend those thanks to him. And so it's sort of been his treat of things to do the last couple of days. So yesterday we went to Twenty Fourth and Meatballs, which is one of our favorite places. <laughs> like we have a whole song about it, which is Meatballs, Meatballs, Twenty Fourth and Meatballs, and then. It, local variants of the song depending on time and place but uh and it's uh it's next to a place called stupid burger <laughs> of course it is so oscar had a stupid burger um jill had some uh, meatballs and oh, i had yeah. a shrimp po boy oh there's an 87th in meatballs too how convenient yeah yeah you can put a meatball at any intersection <laughs> turns out the zoning is allowed for that uh, but also glad to see that Tails and Trotters has reopened the oh. hazelnut-fed pork store, and uh, Nomad. I think we might go there for dinner tonight. It's an oyster place. Sounds great. And uh, my favorite pizza joint just opened up a a, uh, a window basically next to the bookstore. Pizza Jerk. Great. A stupid burger and Pizza Jerk. I think <laughs> might be. The same company. Uh, I wouldn't Don, be surprised. Don, Don Rickles Restaurants. <laughs> um, but I haven't been haven't been eating particularly badly or particularly well. Well, they have. They, the I have to say, they have a spectacular looking website. I think it's probably inspired by the famous uh, Space Jam website. Oh, that's great. Still up, I believe. It was last time I checked, but this is yeah. great. Anyway, go on, go on. But I'll be in Kansas next week, and uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to going to uh, some friends um, who have uh, competing diners in downtown Lawrence. And I think I'm going to go have breakfast at one one day, and the other one the next day. Well, the, is one of them the Bluebird? That's one of the names of them. The Bluebird is is uh, Arthur Dodge's wife's um, place. Yeah, and it is fantastic. I there a few months ago, um, and and Arthur Dodge and, and his wife they're musicians and singers, and she also runs this place. And uh, I played on an early Arthur Dodge album, and he's brilliant. Oh, not and then, Lady Bird, Lady Bird. That's what I was Lady Bird, Lady, Lady Bird. Bird. And then the other is uh, my friend's. Uh, my friend Ken Pingleton, who is a great uh, hero of mine. Oh, yeah. Um, friend and hero. And Jen Dryling and some other 
people started another place. It's not called the Roost. It is called the Roost, um, which is just a little bit down. And there's such a need for breakfasts and lunches of the country style in Lawrence that even uh-huh. though they are they are uh, in competition, they are also best of friends. And uh, uh, there are no empty tables at either one uh, at any time, pretty much. Excellent. Long, long may they be crowded. I, um, when I was last in Lawrence, I made sure to, to get there right around opening time. To Ladybird. Uh, to Ladybird. Yeah, I didn't know about the other one though. I have to, I have to check it out next time I'm there. Just, and uh, did you go? To, you went to Frank's North Star Tavern when you were there. Yeah. Is that where the PBR book club met? Uh, I think they did. I think they did this last time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great bar. Yep, I've got it. I've got the shirt. Yeah. Oh no! It was the it was the first time that we met at the North Star, and then the second time we met at the place that's in that's in right in town. I can't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. Anyway, good bars and good restaurants yeah. in Lawrence. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a favorite. I don't think I don't think I'll be able to go to the North Star or the Replay or any of my favorite Lawrence places with my first grader. No. Um, but, but the uh, diners. The competing diners, the diners, you can visit all you like. We can cover ourselves in gravy. Yeah. <laughs> the way that in zombie movies, uh, you cover yourself in zombie guts so that you won't be recognized. <laughs> cover myself in gravy in the same way and try to move slowly through the crowds. <laughs> Unnoticed. Well, on that note, we should we should wrap up. Okay. You have a good week, John. Yeah, you too, my friend. I'm, I'm glad to be back on the uh, podcast train. Choo-choo! Are you hungry for lunch? Well, then let's have lunch. Do you want some lunch? Well, then we'll give you some lunch. Do you have a hankering for lunch? Well, then come to lunch. Because it's time for lunch. Box with Ed John. That's right. It's time for lunch box with a